Welcome back to the New England Take and WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to follow New England Take on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And check out nhtalkradio.com to get the podcast versions of the show. I'm uh, very excited to welcome Executive Counselor Cindy Warmington. She's on a Democrat who represents New Hampshire's 2nd District on the New Hampshire Executive Council. Welcome to the show. Thank you, AJ. Very happy to be here. So the Executive Council was this mystical thing that the people sometimes heard about on Election Day. And then all of a sudden, uh, you got in the news like every other day for about a month straight. So how's that feel? <laughs> Well, one of our efforts is really to get uh, to educate voters about what the executive council is and why it's so important. So um, we're happy to get uh, press coverage, not exactly the way we had hoped to get it. Uh, wasn't uh, ever expected. I don't think that um, that uh, executive councils would need to be offered security details. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, that's like the governor gets security detail in New Hampshire. That's basically it for the most part. <laughs> Right. I, I mean, what's what's it been like uh, seeing this change? I mean, we'll we'll get to the protesters, <laughs> that would for sure. But what's this attention been like for you? I mean, the biggest thing I see is the question of what does the executive council do, which which I'm guessing is a majority of what you're seeing now. Yeah, I mean, and it's the number one question that any executive councilor speaking to a group needs to answer is what is the executive council. And you know, just to give a little bit of background, you know, the executive council is is in the constitution, and it dates back to when the state was formed. And uh, not unlike, I think, Granite Staters today, Granite Staters were uncomfortable with concentrating um, power in one person, and so created the executive council truly to serve as a check on the governor. That is its primary function. And it reviews every state contract over $10,000, and it reviews every nomination for every uh, commissioner of an agency, for every um, member appointed to any of the boards. And um, of course, it reviews all judges. So it, it has a very, very, very important role in our state government, and many people just don't know about it. How does your role differ from uh, the legislature? It, it seems like you're a mini legislature that's that lives within the executive branch. Well, really, uh, there is a big difference, and that is that the legislature is really responsible for policy, and the executive council is in the, in the as you said, in the executive branch. So we are not. Um, we I try very hard to drive in our own lane, right? That we we're not. Um, our, my friends in the House and Senate will certainly remind me if we if we travel over that line. Um, and um, it really policy is their job, and execution of that is is more the exec in the world of the executive council. What's the relationship between the council and the governor? Is it something like, are you guys meeting on a weekly basis? Is it like, I mean, how often do you meet and what are those interactions like? Um, when I meet with the governor, it's in public and everyone sees that. Oh, we I do see. not, the council does not meet, the council does not meet outside of um, public meetings. Oh, okay. So, how often are those are those meetings in a, on a in a regular situation? Obviously, there's been a lot more back to back meetings in light of uh, COVID nineteen funding. It's been a huge issue, and vaccinations and such. But we'll 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 imagine a year and a half ago, what did that look like, and what does it look like compared to now? 
every two weeks. The council meets every two weeks. And the way it works is that on Fridays around noontime, uh, the state police deliver contracts to all of the councilors around the state. Um, we have the weekend really to read them over. Uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, I call commissioners from various agencies and get my questions about their contracts answered. And then we meet on Wednesdays and we vote. Uh, and then um, and then it all starts all over again. And we receive um, in any given week um, from, I guess, a low of maybe 50 to a high of 300 contracts at a time. So it can be very, very busy during um, during council week. Yeah. And how how often are I'm sorry, rephrase that question. So the how long ago did it start being that the public was uh, attending the meetings? Has it always been the case? It seems like more recently, like they uh, the one at Anselm, St. Anselm College. I mean, was that the norm previously? So the, the public um, has always been invited and encouraged to attend council meetings. And once a year, the council goes on the road and each councilor hosts a meeting in their district. So we travel around the state. And really the purpose of that is to make the council meetings more open to the public so the public can come and learn more about what it is that we do. The rest of the year we meet at the state house and the public is also invited to attend there. And, and many members of the public um, you know, often do. This is the biggest thing that's always been surprising me is I came from Maine. I moved to New Hampshire uh, full time 11 years ago. And it's always been shocking. It's like you can go up to the state house. Like it's open. Like if it's open hours, you can go in there. You can you can check out the flags. You can set up a meeting with uh, the people that represent you. And I feel like that's something people should really take advantage of. Right. And what, one of the secrets about the executive council meeting that if there's a commissioner of any agency and you wanted to find them or ask them a question, that's a great place to find them. They're looking <laughs> for money. They're there. <laughs> you, if they're on the agenda that we, they'll be there and you can find them and, and uh, ask your questions. And a, a lot of the commissioners have a lot of time to wait. Um, you know, the department of health and human services typically goes first and they take a long time. So other commissioners are sitting around. It's a great opportunity for citizens to reach out and, and talk to agency heads. But one of the roles of the executive council that a lot of people don't know about is that we really do serve as an interface between the public and our state agencies. So if any citizen is having any problems with a state agency, they can call their executive counselor and the executive counselor can um, reach out to the commissioner and, and see if they can find a resolution to the problem. Now, we might not always be able to give the person who's calling the answer they want, but we are there to serve the public and um, all of the counselors I know take that role seriously. Yeah, I mean, Civics 101 a little bit, but state agencies are part of the executive branch. Uh, just like with the federal government, the FCC reports ultimately to the president. It's a similar thing with DHHS and Department of Insurance and everything. It all reports into the governors and the executive branch and the council ultimately when it comes to yeah. wanting to get contracts done. Yes, yes. So when did you start seeing the climate at these meetings begin to change? It do, it seems like people weren't really aware of just the general phrasing that came with the COVID-19 vaccination contracts and just the general fight against COVID-19, uh, where there's always been wording when it said that you should be encouraging people to get vaccinated. You should be making sure the, the virus doesn't spread out of control. Um, but people started actually reading when it came to this most recent $27 million in funding. 
Yeah, so there was some language that um, really got some attention by um, groups that were some anti-vaxxers and some more anti-government activists um, who felt that the language gave the federal government more control um, and would require the state to enforce mandates that came from Washington. The attorney general reviewed that and found that not to be credible. And I, I do want to say that we have in the past already passed, um, even before these contracts came up, we had already passed this exact same language three times. So, um, but this got people's attention. And, you know, I don't, I think that people coming and speaking out and speaking their mind to their counselors and to other counselors is wonderful. That is exact, that's democracy. We encourage that. We want to hear from people. Um, but as you said, the tone changed in, in terms of the um, emails becoming intimidating, the text messages, you know, becoming even threatening at times, the, the we know where you live kind of dialogue. And on the day of the meeting, um, in between meetings, the council was out of the room at the time. Um, I know that state employees were um, encircled by some people, heckled for wearing masks, were um, um, you know, heckled, heckled for their position on, on vaccines. Um, and it, the tone was inappropriate and not, um, not consistent with civil discourse that we expect to see at our meetings and in our state. It's a breakdown of the system. I mean, executive council meeting is not a town hall. I, I feel like they, a lot of people were treating, treating these, uh, these meetings as the place to get their voice out there when it's, it's kind of too late. You should have reached out to your executive councilor before then. You should have reached out to uh, the legislature and other branches of the government also if you, if you have a disagreement with it because um, the executive council meetings are for the executive council to meet specifically, right? There's no public comment. No public comment. And, and, you know, again, we encourage civil discourse. We encourage people to contact their executive counselors and speak in a, in a civil way about these things. We're not going to agree on everything, but we don't have to be disagreeable. Yeah, I feel feel like it's been a constant theme since I, I started my show. Like in the the heat of it, it seems like with the New England take, where it's been about four months now, and um, the discourse is just dissolved. I mean, there is it's just shouting, and it's it's great to find people that actually want to talk about it. I've been very fortunate to kind of find people that are willing to talk about it. I'm not a Democrat. I, I'm barely a Republican. I'm kind of I'm a lost centrist is how I feel nowadays because of how polarized the debate's been around everything and. Um, I mean, with it seems like with the executive council, it's it's really down in the weeds. Like you're talking about contracts and where money's going, but uh, how how often does politics play into the decisions that are made at the council? Well, everyone on the council brings their own political perspective, and you know it is the, the we are elected in partisan elections, um, and that's so that's to be expected. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in this recent case of the vaccination, vaccination money became very political. This really became um, a politi politics over public health. And, um, you know, I disagree um, strongly with the votes of my fellow counselors on this. I, I believe that they were intimidated into um, voting against something that is uh, much needed in our state. 
and the vote will harm people. And just to be clear, if we are unable to find another way to get this funding or if there is not reconsideration of this, the state's efforts to get the vaccination out will be hampered. And that means people who want their booster shots. That means the five to 11 year olds when that approval comes through the homebound. Uh, this is really going to hamper the state's efforts to get the vaccinations out. This was really harmful to our state. Um, and I, I obviously strongly disagree with the votes of the of the other council members. Yeah, I got. The, I really want to highlight that's like the most important piece of this funding is getting vaccinations to people that are unable to get to a place to get vaccinated. I mean, there are many people that are homebound. There are many people that don't have transportation. I mean, I live in downtown Concord. There's a pretty substantial homeless population and people with mental disabilities that, that are around and don't necessarily consider the fact that they need to go get vaccinated because of everything else that's going on in their lives let alone the people that work they have two income two income families they can't afford to take the sick time and any way to make it a little more convenient might be the, the little bit to get them to take it um mm -hmm. i mean yep. just have you say it you're not telling people that don't want to get the vaccine to get it you're you're encouraging people to get it we're encouraging people to get it but um there is no mandate to get the vaccine and um you know there are um there are private employers who've made a decision to require a vaccine and counselors Wheeler and counselors Kenny uh, were looking for um, the government to step in and interfere with the decisions of private businesses, which was really ironic um, that, that they would be taking such a position. And, um, and it has nothing to do with this funding. This funding is, again, it's about public health. And I can tell you, we saw this exact same um, scenario play out with the Planned Parenthood funding and the funding for Planned Parenthood, Lovering and Equality, the family planning clinics that was turned down. Um, the money that we were talking about is not used for abortion services. The Department of Health and Human Services did a review and, and confirmed that these uh, organizations were you know, keeping that separate. They were not using any of these funds for abortion services. And because of their objection to abortion services, um, counselors voted down this funding. This funding is for cancer screenings. This funding is for contraceptive care. This funding is for sexually transmitted disease diagnosis and treatment. And, and even, when, even when the Commissioner of Health and Human Services said, yes, cancer diagnoses will be delayed and people then you know, will be diagnosed at a later stage of their cancer when treatment is more costly and less successful, that didn't matter to these counselors. And um, you know, when, when the commissioner said there would be negative birth outcomes, that didn't matter. When she said that in, there'll be an increase in teen pregnancy and unintended pregnancies, which means more abortions, that didn't matter. It is nonsensical. It is totally against public health. And again, politics over public health inexcusable. I mean, was there any alternative provided by your colleagues with regards to put directing the money somewhere else so that that money is still put to use for for women needing that health care? Well, the the services are provided. The provider who provides 80 80 percent of the services are the ones that were defunded. There are no other um, family health um, services providers in our state. And um, and so except for the ones that you know were approved, which only provide a 
about 20% of all the services provided. This left Sullivan County and Cheshire County with no family planning services at all. And that didn't matter to these counselors. So again, inexcusable politics over public health. And right. I come from a healthcare background, so this is all near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I'm, I'm about healthcare. I'm about getting people healthcare. And, um, and this council is about politics. Uh, I'm gonna. I I agree. I agree at least fifty percent of what you're saying. I I disagree with the the funding was set to be was they met the parameters, which I think is the most important thing. Where these organizations did make sure that the funding was going to the correct way, and to me that seems uh, very unfair to for it to just be not allowed to go to them because they followed the rules. And I think following the rules is the most important thing when it comes to how a government should operate. The second the government stops following the rules or just ignores the rules and just does what they want, that's a catastrophic issue, in my opinion. You can tell I'm libertarian. Um, <laughs> the it's To me personally, I mean, why aren't they trying to divert this this uh, money to like uh, PCPs or um, OBs or other more mainstream healthcare offices. I mean, that seems to be the really missing piece to this. As someone, I like, I don't personally support abortion. I'm very torn ethically on how it should be handled from the state state level. Uh, but why isn't there that push to uh, fund other traditional healthcare that can provide a lot of this? Well, they put the, the state put the contract out to bid, and these are the providers who meet the requirements and, and bid for the services. So to the extent that uh, there are other providers out there who can provide similar services, they don't have the infrastructure to provide the kind and type of comprehensive care that a Planned Parenthood can provide. There are, you're not going to be able to, you know, walk into your doctor's office and get a, an IUD inserted. Like that is, like, that's just not in, within the scope of services that they're going to provide. Or, you know, are they going to have um, counseling available for a teenager that needs, um, needs some um, counseling regarding reproductive health? Um, they're not in a position to do that. They don't have the comprehensive net set of services or providers to do that. These are the providers who bid on the contract and who are qualified and capable of providing these services. Have, have any of the larger outlet uh, providers like Dartmouth spoken at all about any of this? Or are they just saying that's, that's, that's out of our wheelhouse, we're staying out of it? Not that I've heard. I don't, I don't know what they've said. Okay. Um, all right, we've got about a minute left in this segment here. I mean, what do you want to get out to those that are confused or uh, unhappy with what's going on with the executive council? They, they want to get their voices heard. What's the way they should be doing it? Yeah, the, there's a website, uh, nh.gov, executive council, and all of the counselors' contact information is there. And, and we all welcome uh, the input from our constituents and, you know, really encourage that to happen. Um, feel free to call your counselor. Feel free to text them. Feel free to email them um, and make sure that the conversation is, is um, civil dialogue, as we talked about. 
Please be civil, <laughs> especially if you're hearing it from my show here. The the I want to bring civility and at least thinking about the subjects and understanding people are not going to always agree with you. Uh, so Cindy Warmington, she's on the executive council, represents New Hampshire's second district. Thank you for joining me. And we're we're going to bring you right back for one more quick segment here. You listen to New England Taken to PKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the New England Take and Duplicate XL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Joined by Executive Counselor Cindy Warmington. She's a Democrat who represents New Hampshire's 2nd District. Uh, welcome back, and thanks for dealing with my whining. I'm glad to be with you. <laughs> um, I, I mean, what do you see as the future role of the Executive Council with all this press that's been around it do you see its role changing at all or basically is it like everything goes business as usual we have a set purpose and this is what's going to happen yeah we uh, the, the role of the executive council has been defined in our constitution and the executive counselors all work very hard to make sure we review the contracts and, and i just want to say 95 percent, maybe more than that of everything that comes through the executive council is voted and approved 5-0. Um, so it's, it is not a um, deeply divided um, body on, on all matters, right? We, we do um, work together in some cases and um, generally are in general agreement. And we ask good questions about what the how the state's funds are being expended. And we're gonna continue to do that. We're going to, we have the, we have currently, we have three judges that have been nominated for positions. We have a huge backlog in our courts. And um, so we'll be holding hearings on those three judges. We have a PUC commissioner, um, public utilities commissioner that's been nominated. We'll be holding a hearing on that nomination. So the council is just going to keep doing its work. That's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something to really keep in mind. I mean, you guys voted on the commissioners that are reporting into you to get the contracts signed off. I mean, there, there's a reason why the people are running these different administrative departments. Mm-hmm. It's um, do you. Do you do you predict that a lot of the um, exposure that you've been seeing recently is going to start dwindling a bit and going back to business as usual? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect at, at every meeting that we would have that kind of, of coverage. I, I do think that it is healthy that the business of the executive council um, is is more known by the Granite Staters. So I welcome that sort of um, coverage by the press, but certainly not because of uh, the kinds of things that we've seen in, in the last couple of meetings. We, you know, that is that's not helpful or um, productive for the the citizens of of New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, the you're only going to sign so many uh, vaccination uh, contracts over the span of your of your term. <laughs> I mean, well, how... we'll, we'll be seeing more. I will oh, say yeah. that. Uh, what's what's the term uh, for for the an executive council, and what district uh, do you represent specifically when you look at look at a map? So the term is for two years. All five of the executive councilors are elected every two years, and District Two is um, as you hit on an important topic. Is um, it spans across the state from uh, Keene? It touches the. Vermont border, uh, Massachusetts border, and then Keene to Concord to Durham and Dover, so all the way across the state. Um, And the reason for that is the district is gerrymandered. 
And um, we do believe that districts should be fairly drawn uh, so that all voters' voices are, are given equal weight um, and that districts should not be um, politically gerrymandered, but District 2 is a gerrymandered district um, intended to um, ha- um, make um, more Democrats in one district. Um, and, and the and other. What changes do you predict to, for that to be going on? I mean, uh, when's the next time that's up for review? That is, that's happening right now. There is a redistricting commission uh, going on right now. They just held, I think, their last hearing. Um, and we'll see redistricting maps come out of the House, I think, in sometime in November. The council itself has no role in that process. It is uh, the legislature that redraws those maps. And in this year, it's going to be the Senate that they get redrawn every 10 years. And it's going to be the Senate that redraws those maps. Executive Councilor Cindy Warmington represents New Hampshire's second district. Where can people follow you on the Twitters and such? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. You're listening to New England Taken to BKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhdocradio.com. Talk to you next week.